I encourage you to turn your, in your Bibles to John chapter 14. Hopefully you've been following along with us over the past few weeks as we've been exploring uh, the last eight or so hours of Jesus' life with his disciples. He's honed in, he's focused on teaching the disciples a few last things before he goes. And that's the, the backdrop that I want to remind us of as we approach our text, our multiple texts here this morning. It's John 13, verse 33. John 13:33 says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So we saw that text first a few weeks ago, and since then, Pastor Keith has been walking through the end of 13 and some of 14 over the last couple of weeks. And, and Jesus is explaining, I'm going, but don't worry, Here's how you can know where I'm going. Here's how you can know the Father. And that gets us to where we are today, which brings us, basically, I think we ended on verse 15 of John 14. Last week, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then we get to verse 16, and we see a significant promise from Jesus. In verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper to be with you forever. This helper is who we are going to be talking about for the rest of our time here this morning. We're going to know and associate that with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll tell you that it's our usual practice to take a chunk of Scripture to walk through verse by verse, expound and explain what the text means, and then give you some applications and how we can uh, apply these things to our lives. Over the next few weeks, what we're actually going to be doing is take a more thematic approach. Because what we're taking 12 weeks to do was really just one prolonged speech with Jesus. So in Jesus' mind, he's hitting it all at one time. And so instead of just getting the little snippets from week to week about certain particular subjects, we're going to kind of cram the things together and so we can get maybe a, a holistic picture of certain topics that Jesus addresses uh, throughout this, these last few hours with his disciples. And so this morning we're going to explore all of the verses in John 14 through 16 that address the Holy Spirit. Just so we can get this, this wider view of, of what Jesus is conveying to his disciples. Now the, the subject of the Holy Spirit is, is way too big and vast for us to cover in a Sunday morning. And, and my intention this morning is, is not to give us a exhaustive study of the Holy Spirit. We're just going to hone in. There's actually four different aspects of the Holy Spirit that I want to show uh, that Jesus is teaching his disciples. Before we dive any further into this text, I want to just show you this word helper. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. In the original language, this word is parakletos. It's notoriously hard to translate, apparently. And John is the only author who uses it in this form. We're going to see all four times that he uses it here in the Gospel of John. And then we'll actually see the one other usage in the New Testament by John in his first epistle. If you were to break the word down into two parts, para means beside, and then uh, the root form of the verb is kaleo, which is to call. And so you get this idea of helper, call, alongside. But the question when it comes to translation is, well, call alongside to do what or for what? And that's where I think we get some different ideas of what this word should be translated as. So what I'll tell you is there's four major translations that people have chosen over the years to use for this one word. We see here in the ESV, and it's the same in the NASB, they use the word helper. But this same word is translated in the old NIV and the Revised Standard as counselor. This same word is translated as comforter in the King James. And then in the uh, NET Bible, it's described or translated as advocate. 
But it's all literally the same word. And so now you might be getting a little worried. Well, which one is right? Which one should I use? Is my Bible wrong? No, I don't think your Bible is wrong, but I don't know which one is correct. I don't know. And I, what I'm going to say is we're going to use them all because I think they all speak to what Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples. And they're all correct in that sense. And so what we're going to do is use all four of those words to describe the four different themes or attributes of the Holy Spirit that Jesus really is trying to get across to his disciples this morning. So hopefully that sets the stage for us this morning, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that your spirit would be would be present here with us as we open your word, that you would uh, work in our hearts, that you work through through my voice, that you would work through um, your spirit, that we might learn what you would have us to learn here this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So our first passage this morning is John 14, 16 to 18. So I'll back, back, back up so we can just read the whole thing together. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So what we learn first, what we're going to say first is that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. That's our first word. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. And so the question is, well, how will the Holy Spirit Comfort us. Comfort these disciples. And the answer is very simple. He will comfort us with his presence. Remember, the disciples are troubled. They're worried. Jesus is leaving. But Jesus is saying, don't worry. Don't be troubled. My presence will still be with you. He uses, he says, I will give you another helper. But the specific form of the word for another here is speaking about another of the same kind. There's a whole different word for another of a different kind. He's saying, I will send you another one of my spirits. You could maybe say it that way. It's the same spirit, but it's coming to you uh, when I leave. Jesus had been their helper. And what he's saying is, but I'm going to send you another helper, and this helper will be with you forever. Jesus has already declared that he is the truth. And now we see that it's the spirit of truth that will be given to the disciples. Just as they had been in the presence of the Spirit, if you remember the, at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit is described as descending and remaining on Christ. And so as the disciples walked along with Christ over the past few years, they've been in the presence of the Spirit of God. And so just as the Spirit has been present with them through the person of Christ, now Jesus is saying, my presence will be with you And what we'll see is, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so Jesus is saying this should be a comforting thought. Yes, me and the person is leaving, but when I go, I'm going to send you my presence, and this should bring you comfort. You might then ask, well, who else gets this presence? Is it is it just the disciples here? Who does this apply to? And actually, we'll see the negative first. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. This promise of the Holy Spirit, this promise of a comforter, is not coming to the world. It's not coming to those who do not see or do not know Jesus. I'm reminded of Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus says, what do I need to do? So I can go to heaven and be with God. And Jesus says, well, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is confused, like, well, what do you mean? Am I supposed to go get born again? That seems pretty out there, Jesus. And so Jesus replies in verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, what Jesus is explaining to his disciples is that his presence, his comfort is going to come to those who know him. Who knows Christ? Well, it's in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those who love him, those who obey him, those who will receive the spirit of Christ are those who have received him by faith. And this is put in contrast to the, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. This is the world standard. I need to see it. I need to feel it. And Jesus is saying, this is not a tangible thing. This is a faith thing. And all those who receive me by faith will receive the Holy Spirit. And then here in verse 18, Jesus, in connection with giving of the Spirit, he reassures his disciples that not only will they have his presence through his spirit, but they will not be left fatherless. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This should be a comforting thought for the believer. What will bring them comfort? Not only do they have the presence of the spirit, but they are known by God. They are adopted by God. This is how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This should be the most comforting thought for the believer. God is our Father. Through His Spirit, we have been adopted as sons and daughter of the King. These are comforting thoughts that Jesus is giving to his disciples. And it should be something that not only brings us comfort, but then spurs us on to do what? To continue to love him and obey his commandments. Not only does he tell us that we have a heavenly father, that we have the presence of Christ, but he tells us that we have a home. Look at verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, if you remember in the beginning of uh, chapter 14, Jesus is saying, don't worry, disciples. Verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus At first, he says, don't be troubled. Where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But now what Jesus is telling the disciples, he's expounding on this, is saying, hey, where I'm going is not just about a future reality that you're going to be able to enjoy in eternity future. Now, he says, we will come to him, the Father and the Son, we will come to him and make our home with him. This word home is the same word of place in verse 2. And so I think what Jesus is, is doing here is that you don't have to wait to experience home with the Spirit. Because we can have communion with the Father and Son now through the inner presence of the Holy Spirit. Because this is what the Father and the Son have promised to do through the Spirit. All of these things should bring us comfort as we think about how we relate to our Heavenly Father. It's important one more time to remind you, who does He come to? If anyone loves me, He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him. A desire to love and obey the Father is a good indication that the Holy Spirit is residing in you. The world will continually reject Christ. But the believer has an anticipation that the Spirit of truth is at work in them. And this is what gives us this assurance, knowing that the Spirit of God is within us. But if that's true, the contrast will also be true as well. Look at verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. And Jesus is saying, so the ones who love me and obey me, we're going to make our home with them. 
but not the ones who don't love me and don't keep my words. And so if you're here today and you're not following the words of Jesus, that's an indicator that the Spirit of the Lord may not be in you. To not do what Jesus says is the same as not doing what the Father says. And if you're not doing what Jesus says, and you're not doing what the Father says, Jesus is saying, we're not making our home with you. This only comes by faith in who Jesus is and what He has done. But for the believer, this brings us great comfort. As we keep moving through the chapter, we come to this next aspect of the Holy Spirit described by Jesus. It's found in verse 26 of chapter 14. He is our helper. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so, well, how does Jesus, how does the Holy Spirit help us? Well, two ways based on this verse. He will teach us and he will remind us. So I'll say that I think there's an immediate fulfillment of these verses as well as a future application for you and me today. So let me begin with the immediate application to these specific disciples that Jesus is talking to. Jesus is saying, when I go, I'm going to send you the Spirit who will help you. And He's going to help you by teaching you. If you think about it, the disciples weren't the best listeners. They didn't always have it all together. They didn't always know all the things that were going on. But Jesus says, yeah, I know that about you. But I'm not counting on you, disciples, in your own minds to figure out all the things that you're going to need to know to teach. He says, I'm going to send you the Spirit. And it's the Spirit who will teach you all Things. I think this is also why when Jesus departs, he tells the disciples, go wait. He doesn't tell them to go teach right away. He doesn't tell them to go preach right away. Why not? They might have messed it up. They were to wait until they received the Holy Spirit. This was the direct application that the, these disciples are going to lay the foundation, the groundwork, for the establishment of the church. But they're going to need the Holy Spirit to teach them all things. And then, for these disciples as well, the Holy Spirit will bring to their remembrance all that Jesus had said to them. I think we see this in the formation of the Gospels. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How did John know how to write these words when he was old and composing this? How did he get everything right and all the details? Well, because it wasn't up to John. It wasn't just John's brain. It was the Holy Spirit. This was the fulfillment. The Gospels come to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is the verse that Jesus promised to the disciples. The Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I don't trust the New Testament. I don't trust the Gospels because I trust John. I trust John because I know it's the Spirit in John who is bringing to remembrance all that Jesus said to him. We see this truth again in John 16 in a few minutes. The Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. For us, we understand that the Holy Spirit is vital in the transmission of His teaching and His Word. And what Jesus is doing is also showing this um, harmony between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as He brings and forms His Word for His disciples. So then what does it have to do with us? Because I think that's the immediate application of those verses. But I would say these principles still apply to us today. How will the Holy Spirit help us? Well, He will teach us and He will remind us. He's not teaching us new things to write and New Testaments to write, but He is teaching us. The familiar verse uh, found in 2 Timothy. All Scripture is breathed out by God. What's it profitable for? Teaching. Why? Because this is the Word of the Holy Spirit. And if we as believers have the Holy Spirit in us, now 
the Holy Spirit can help illuminate my mind and illuminate my heart to understand what these words mean. To understand what he intended when he brought this word to the disciples. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know you still have things to learn as a Christian. You don't have to do it. You shouldn't try to do it by yourself. We first rely on the Holy Spirit to teach us. And we also trust that the Holy Spirit will remind us. Not only does the Holy Spirit help us understand what the Word is saying, but it brings the Word of God to bear on our lives. Have you ever been reading a passage in the Bible and you're like, ooh, yeah, I needed that one. Or you're faced with a difficult decision, but then you remember this Bible verse that comes to your memory. Or you've been sitting in church on a Sunday morning, and you're nudging your spouse and you're wondering, did you call the pastor this week? Did you tell him what we've been fighting about this week? I've been in the foyer when people will come and say, hey, what you said was exactly what I needed. How did you know? I didn't. It's not me. So if you get mad, it's not me either. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit at work bringing to you your remembrance all the things of Christ, all the things that are in His Word. Don't trust me. Trust the Spirit. Trust His Word. The Holy Spirit still operates like this for you and for me today. And there's a great promise that we can't really talk about, but we should just read. It's verse 27. What's the result when we get this help, when we get this guidance from the Holy Spirit? Verse 27, peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, which is where he started this chapter. Neither let them be afraid. We have nothing to fear. If the Spirit is indwelling in us, if we know that the Spirit will teach us and guide us and bring His words to to our mind, man, that produces peace. That gives us comfort. We have the presence of God. This is what gives us confidence as we go out into the world. And so here in these first two passages, we've seen that he's our comforter, but he's also our helper. We get to the end of chapter 14, and and Jesus is saying, I'm going to come back, but also it's getting really close to the time that I'm going to have to leave. And you get to the end and he says, rise, let us go up from here. And you get the idea that we're transitioning from the upper room. They're going to start making their way to the garden. And and we're going to spend the next several weeks going through chapter 15. And so chapter 15 uh, next week, we'll look at what's this deal with vine and branches and abiding with Christ. And Pastor Keith will will teach us about that. And then we're going to look at what it looks like to to deal with this new command that we're supposed to love one another? (laughs) Yep, that's coming too. But where we're going to go is the last section of chapter 15. And the context of the end of chapter 15 is be prepared because the world is not going to like you. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some hardship. There's going to be some persecution that's coming your way because you have decided to follow me. But here's the encouragement that he gives. It comes in uh, John 15, verses 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So here we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit is our counselor. It's another topic for another day. The beginning of John 15 is really important in terms of theology and describing how the the Spirit proceeds both from the Father and the Son, and there's a whole big controversy over it. We're going to skip through that part, and we're just going to concentrate on two phrases that sound very similar. What is a counselor? Well, when I think of a counselor, I think of if you have a problem, you call a counselor. And when you call a counselor, you're expecting that they're going to have some wisdom for you, that they're going to have some guidance for you, some advice for you that you can trust. 
And in light of the fact that Jesus knows that these disciples are signing up for some severe persecution and hard times, Jesus is reminding them, that, hey, you have a counselor. You have a guide. And I want to give you some advice. So what's his advice? What does Jesus counsel the disciples to do? Well, it's language that we don't really use so much today. But he says, it's the Spirit who will bear witness about me. Well, what does that mean and how is that helpful? I think what Jesus is telling the disciples is, remember, it's the Spirit who testifies about the truth of who Jesus is. It's the Spirit who testifies to the gospel. And disciples, as you go out into the world, rely on the Holy Spirit to be that witness. Stand strong, not in your own strength, but stand strong on the Spirit of God who will bear witness to the truth of the gospel. Jesus knows the world's going to hate these guys, not because they did anything wrong, but just simply because they are following Jesus. And so it's in that context that Jesus says, well, don't worry, guys, because it's the Spirit who will bear witness about me. But they're not off the hook. Because the next thing that he says is, well, you also will bear witness about me. And so if they're supposed to rely on the Spirit, then what do they need to do in terms of bearing witness to Jesus? I think Jesus' encouragement, his counsel to them, is to, well, then stand firm on the truth. Know that it's the Holy Spirit who does the inner work, but you stand strong on the truth, even when the world mocks them. The world is full of lies. The world is full of of trials and, and all kinds of things. But Jesus is telling them, just as the Spirit will bear witness about me, you too go out and bear witness about me. He said, you guys know. You've been with me since the beginning. So you are going to be the ones who need to bear witness. And here is where I think, again, we see an immediate fulfillment of these words. We saw the remembrance of Jesus' teaching producing the Gospels. Well, can you think of a time in the early church where the disciples needed some boldness, needed to stand on uh, the truth and bear witness to who Christ was? Yeah, that's the beginning of the church. That's all of the books of uh, all of the book of Acts. You see a transformation happen in the disciples. These guys are so confused. They're worried. They're anxious. Jesus, you can't go. We need you. You're a guy. You're a comfort. Why do you need to go? Can't you stay with us? Like, we don't know. We're, we're going to be lost without you. And Jesus is like, no, it's cool. I'm going to send you the Spirit. I don't know if they bought it, to be honest. And maybe I'm projecting because I would be concerned. You're going to leave us in charge. You're, you're just going to leave. I don't think that's a good idea, Jesus. If you just stay, if you want to send the Spirit, we'll send the Spirit. But you also stay to make sure I follow the Spirit the way that I'm supposed to, right? Like, that would be my my gut, to be honest. But then you get to the book of Acts. And what do you see? All of a sudden, they're bold. They're preaching. They care less what people say. Hey, uh, you can do what you want. You can throw us in jail. We're, we we serve God, not man. You want to throw stones? Okay, fine. And, and church tradition tells us that all the disciples, other than John, this author, were martyred for their faith. How in the world do you go from, please, Jesus, don't leave us, Jesus having to continually tell them throughout even just these passages, let not your heart be troubled, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, to preaching with boldness. This verse. This is how. It's the Holy Spirit being their comfort, help, and counselor. It's the Holy Spirit bearing witness and empowering them to stand on the same truth and bear witness about the truth. This doesn't happen in the lives of the disciples if they don't have the Spirit indwelling in them. And so for us today, I would still see similar application. 
we trust that this same spirit that was in Christ, that was in the disciples, that produced boldness, that testifies to the truth, what Jesus is saying, that same spirit has been given to us as believers, to those who believe and trust in Christ. We have that same spirit working in us, illuminating the scriptures for us, confirming that we know the truth. You see this with missionaries who just go out and do great things. We see this as we read the biographies and hear about people doing major things for Jesus. But don't think this is just for missionaries or apostles. I think this applies to every single believer. Trust that the Holy Spirit is at work and bearing witness to the hearts of men and also stand and bear witness even in the face of a hostile culture and world. I think what Jesus is reminding the disciples and I think what he would remind us today is that when we stand and bear witness to Christ, we're trusting that the Holy Spirit silently, invisibly, is also with us, bearing witness to the same truth in the same Christ in the hearts of men. That's what I think it means for the Holy Spirit to be our counselor. So in three passages now, he's our comforter, he's our helper, he's our counselor. And then we'll get to the last passage, which we're going to move to uh, chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 7. I'm going to split this section in half because it's a little long. But we learn that Jesus slash the Holy Spirit is our advocate. It's an advocate. Someone who pleads the cause of another. This is often used in terms of law, standing before judges and lawyers and things. Well, the Holy Spirit is described as an advocate. And I think what we see in these verses is, is several different truths that still impact us today. So I'll read uh, 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, we'll walk through all the things about conviction and judgment and all of that, but I want to focus our attention on verse 7. It's a monumental truth. And I, and I get the picture that the disciples are kind of like, their heads are, are swimming a little bit, and they might be kind of coming in or out but when, of the train of thought. And when Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away, I think they're right back in. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. I thought you are our advocate. That sounds like the opposite of, of, of an advocate. It sounds like you're abandoning us. There's no way. Like, maybe you have to go, but you cannot say that it's to our advantage that you leave. And Jesus says, no, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. It is to your advantage that I go, because if I don't go away, the helper... The comforter, helper, counselor, advocate won't come to you. This is monumental. And I don't think the disciples got it, full disclosure, of what Jesus is saying. Jesus plainly says, if I don't go, then you don't get the Spirit. But I think it's a little bigger than that. I tend to think in just that one phrase. I was thinking about it a little, a little more. I was thinking about where Jesus was going. Where is Jesus going? Well, he's going to be with the Father. That's what he said earlier in John 14. We know that. But what does he have to do before he gets to the Father? He has to go to the cross. Well, why is going to the cross important? And why would he consider that a good plan? Well, it has to do with everything of Jesus being our advocate, standing before a holy and just God. And I think what Jesus is doing is building a bridge between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. 
Remember where this started. John 13. They're having a Passover meal. But at the end, Jesus shifts, goes off script. And he says, take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Really, I think the gospel, in a way, is at stake. If Jesus doesn't go, it means he's not going to the cross. And if he doesn't go to the cross, where's forgiveness come from? How do men stand before a holy and righteous God if their sin is not satisfied and paid for? And then you think back to the prophets, and it was promised to them, Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will put my spirit within you. That was promised to the people of God in Ezekiel 36. He says, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And Jeremiah, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This does not happen. This does not come if Jesus doesn't go to the cross. It's not just about receiving the Holy Spirit as an isolated event. This, this started way back in the beginning plan of redemption. This is what needs to happen. This is what brings forgiveness. This is what satisfies the wrath of God. If Jesus doesn't go, there's no satisfaction. If Jesus doesn't go, the old covenant is never fulfilled. If Jesus doesn't go, God's presence never comes. It's more than just, oh, we get comfort inside. This is the plan of salvation, and Jesus knows, I've got to go. And it's going to be so much better for you if I go, because you're going to receive the Spirit which means that the new covenant is being inaugurated. That's why the author of Hebrews can point to that same passage in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and say, the once for all sacrifice has been accomplished. We don't have to go there anymore. We have an advocate in the Holy Spirit through the blood of Christ, His resurrection power. This is much better and any law, than any covenant that had come before. And Jesus knew he had to go. It also gave him standing, and therefore gives us standing, to be vindicated before the world. And this is where we get the text of, now the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Jesus has been vindicated. He has risen from the dead. He has paid the sacrifice. He has made us righteous by faith. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Very quickly, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction concerning sin to the unbelieving world. The world says, nah, I don't believe any of that nonsense. The Holy Spirit says, but it's the truth. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction on the world. And some will respond properly. Do you know where this happens? First, Acts 2. Quoting Joel, what happens? The Spirit of God comes. And then Peter stands up and he preaches. He preaches, and what's the result? He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Conviction. I know that because verse 37 of Acts 2 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. But they responded properly and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? It's the Holy Spirit who brings conviction over sin. And the only response to the sin of unbelief in this case is to do exactly what Peter says. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of God. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, it leads to repentance. But that is not the story for all. 
He continues, not only does he bring conviction concerning sin, that was verse 9, verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. What does Jesus going to the Father have anything to do with conviction over righteousness? Well, I think I've already explained it, so we'll make it short. Just as the world wants to deny who Christ is, they've also denied God's standard of righteousness. The world wants to find all paths to God. They want to earn their way. They want to think that there's some way that they can get into heaven but not live under the righteous standard of God. We know that is wrong because of the message of Christ, because of his death and resurrection. And so as he ascends to the Father, he is vindicated, he has met the righteous standard of the law, and we, under his wing of grace, now meet the standard of righteousness. But this is the only standard. And there is conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. There is nothing we can do to earn our own salvation. Exactly what Paul says, Philippians 3, 9. Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is the message and hope of the gospel. But this is where the Spirit comes and convicts the world over sin, over righteousness, and then, verse 11, judgment. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Jesus, speaking of Satan, death, burial, resurrection of Christ, Hebrews 2.14 describes Satan being defeated. And he stands judged before God as Guilty. But there's a warning to all of those who persist in their unbelief, who persist in their own standard of righteousness or trusting in themselves. And the warning is they will share the same judgment right along with Satan. It's not fun. It's not pretty. But it's something that we need to wrestle with. If you're not a believer, you need to wrestle with and allow the Spirit to do a work in your heart, because there is good news. John three thirty nine. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But the warning again, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's a sobering truth of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit, though, that convicts the world of unbelief, of unrighteousness and of judgment is the same one that brings believers confidence. Followers of Jesus are those who have been convinced by the Holy Spirit that yes, Jesus is who he says he is. That yes, Jesus did meet the perfect standard of righteousness. That yes, at his resurrection, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. Satan has no power over Jesus. This is what describes the believer. This is what gives the believer confidence. It's Romans 8. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to fret the conviction in this way of the Holy Spirit because I know I stand secure in Christ. And here's the other usage of advocate that John writes in 1 John 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, same word, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For the believer, we don't have to face the conviction of sin, unbelief, and judgment. We may sin, but where do we go? We're not standing under condemnation or the wrath of God. We go to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, I stand in your righteousness. And we make that relationship right with him. That's where I draw confidence from. It's not me. It's not about me being perfect. Christ has already been perfect on my behalf. So one more thing I want you to notice before we finish out the last couple of verses. Who does Jesus say he's sending the Spirit to? Verse 7, that's going to bring all this conviction. But if I go, I will send him to you, disciples, you, believers. I think what Jesus is implying is that we have a role to play 
even in the conviction of the world around us. He knows we're going into tough times. He knows we don't have to stand condemned. He knows we should have confidence. And here's where our role comes in. The way that we live our life in response to who Jesus is, his standard of righteousness, and no fear of eternal judgment should point people to Jesus, should point people to the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is describing the Corinthian church. And listen to see if any of this language sounds familiar. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. God said, I will put my law, my spirit in them, and I will write their law on their hearts. And Paul is saying, here's a fulfillment. Look at the Corinthian church. Well, what does it mean to have the law written on your heart? I think Jesus summed it up in two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. Are we known by our love? Our job is not to go out in the world and tell them they're sinners. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Stand firm on the gospel. Stand firm on what's right and wrong. We don't have to compromise, but we should be asking ourselves, do I have the law of the Lord written on my heart that's expressed through my love for God and loving my neighbor as myself? That's how we know, and that's where we draw confidence from, knowing that Jesus is my advocate, knowing that the Spirit is my advocate. Last three verses, starting in verse 12. Well, what else does the Spirit do? Just two things. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them down. Bear them now. He's like, yeah, I get it. It's going way over your head. Don't worry. I'm sending you the Spirit. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. And then skip down to verse 14. He will glorify me. These are two other things that Jesus does, the Holy Spirit does on our behalf. He guides us in all truth. We've talked about through His Word. And he works to glorify the Son in Jesus. And so as we consider the Holy Spirit's role in our lives, what we see is that we are here for a purpose. But we won't know that purpose apart from the Holy Spirit. And if we think our purpose involves something other than glorifying Jesus, we don't know the Spirit. Because that's the ministry of the Spirit, to glorify Jesus. And so we ask the Spirit to guide us into all truth so that we might know all the things that he has prepared for us to do so that we might bring his name, the glory that is due. So we're about out of time. This has been a, I feel like I've talked very fast, Sunday school lesson slash semi-seminary lecture on all these different things of the Holy Spirit. And I want to leave, though, without giving you just a couple things to think about, because this is not just an intellectual thing. This is not just a, oh, I learned four new things about the Holy Spirit. I'll put that in a notebook to like think about never. Um, how does this apply today? How does this apply tomorrow? How is this going to deal and intersect with your regular life? A couple questions. Well, it's actually a few questions, a lot of questions, with these four things, okay? I'll keep talking fast. We've said that our, the Spirit is our comforter. That His indwelling presence is the mark of every true believer. And so I'd ask you, but do you really know the presence that comes, the comfort that comes with knowing Jesus? Are you walking in obedience because you love Christ? The knowledge that His Spirit is within you? Or are you stuck in a rut of religious behavior trying to earn His love? The presence of God ought to be an active reality every day of our lives. We said that the Holy Spirit is our helper. That he actively helps teach and remind us of his word. So my question is, but are you looking for his guidance? Are you expecting his help? Are you willing to submit to his direction and his nudging? Are you diving into his word? Do you begin by asking the spirit to bring 
uh, to illuminate your heart and mind so that you might live a life that brings him glory. The reason that we show up to church and go to Sunday school and go to Bible studies isn't so we just fill up with a bunch of knowledge. It's so we can go and meet and fellowship with other believers where the Holy Spirit is present and then changes us. And then does a work in our heart so we can actually apply the truths of Scripture to our lives. We've said that the Holy Spirit is our counselor, that he gives us confidence as we stand on truth in the midst of a Yes, hostile culture. But are you even able to testify to the work that the Spirit has done in your heart? Do you have a story to tell about the conviction that the Spirit brought you and how you know He has been working in your heart? Are you confident that He could use you to further His mission? When's the last time you witnessed to someone about the hope of the gospel that is in you. And lastly, we've said that the Holy Spirit is our advocate, that he has accomplished everything necessary for our redemption through his death and resurrection. And we know that the Spirit inside of us bears witness to that truth. Assuming that is true, we must then ask, well, can you see the Spirit at work in you? Do you see the Spirit sanctifying you, refining you, guiding you in the truth? Or have we just become lazy or complacent? Well, our sins are forgiven through Christ. No big deal. Are we pressing in, knowing that the Spirit is is at work in me, showing me what the Father has prepared me to do in the furtherance of His mission to bring glory to to his name. These are the kinds of questions that move from an intellectual talk about the Holy Spirit to something that should affect our daily life. Don't let it sit as a, here's the four new things I learned about the Holy Spirit. My prayer, I, I don't do these things the way I ought to. I need to be having these questions in my life all the time. But let's just do it together. Let's seek the Spirit of God, so that we might be known as a people who knows the Spirit of God and what He has done for us. Will you pray with me? Lord, it is our prayer that Your Spirit would be honored and glorified, that You would do a work in our hearts, that You would bring conviction when we need conviction, that You would bring comfort when we need comfort, that You would bring Your Word into remembrance, knowing that We're not going to get it perfect, but also that we are loved. We are your child. We are have the spirit of adoption. We can come to you at any time because you have already made your home in us. Lord, I pray you would help us know that truth and live out of that truth as we trust your spirit to continue to work in us. We pray this in your name. Amen.